This morning we have a, a, a guest speaker whom I met uh, some time ago uh, through Brother Moss Nkla. Probably some of you may have heard about him, uh, Matt Bird. He is an international speaker, an author, and a broadcaster. He has spoken in 30 countries to more than a million people. He's authored 10 books, and he also writes for the Times newspaper. He's the CEO and president of the Cinnamon International, which is a non-profit uh, uh, organization catalyzing the church to serve and transform communities, cities, and nations. He's also the CEO and president of Relationology, which is an international company that's helping businesses to grow through the power of building effective relationships. He has been a counselor in the local government and co-chaired uh, at the 10 Downing Street Community Advisory Group. Uh, Matt is married uh, to Esther, and they've been blessed with the three children. They are also active members in the church called St. Mike's Church in uh, uh, Southfields. Uh, Matt has also come with the national director of the Cinnamon Network here in South Africa, our sister Kuzai, who is here. I'm going to ask Kuzai to stand and just give a very warm welcome. Thank you, Kuzai. Bless you. You'll be hearing more about the Cinnamon Company in the year. And uh, Matt just loves God and loves the Church of Jesus Christ, and he loves preaching. He's involved in business, but his heart is the heart of a pastor and the heart of a preacher. He's got several books he's written. We'll talk about those at the end that will be available at the end of the service. It's his first time to come and preach here in our church. He's preached in many places in our country. And I'm so glad that uh, opportunity could allow for him just to come and share the word with us. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let's give a very warm welcome to Matt Bird as he comes to share the word. Come on, somebody! Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for your welcome. But we can do better for Jesus, can't we? To Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our friend. It's for Him. Thank you so much. I really believe, you can take a seat. I really believe that, uh, that this morning is a morning of encounter. Down here on the floor just now, I had an encounter with God, and he told me some things that broke my heart and made me weep. I think I've just about recovered. <laughs> um, but it's a real privilege to be here with you this morning and to bring uh, God's word. And uh, it's very humbling for me uh, to be here in your church and in your community. So thank you, Bishop Mossa. Thank you. I wanted to introduce you to my family. Would you like to meet my family? Yes. I have a wife, Esther, and Esther doesn't like to be photographed. <laughs> Anybody would think she didn't look great. She is beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. And she and I together have reared three beautiful children. It's more to do with her than it is to do with me, as you can tell. 
but I didn't bring my three children with me today, but I did bring a little photograph. Would anybody like to see a photograph of my three children? Yes, okay, so it's going to appear on the screen now. <laughs> the, the boy on the right is Joseph. Uh, the girl on the left is Matilda. And the little one in the middle, that's Reuben. He is exactly like he looks. He is as cheeky and as cheeky as can be. It was a beautiful sunny day in London, in Wimbledon where I live. It's rather unusual. It's not unusual here in South Africa. It's one of the many reasons why I like being here. But in Wimbledon, it was not raining for once. It was not cold. The sun was shining. And we really fancied a braai. But the refrigerator had no meat in it. So I took the three children and we went to a local shop. Mummy wasn't with us, so we... Uh, well, at this stage in life, Reuben, we always teased him that his legs were broken because he didn't like walking anywhere. Everywhere we went, we had to push him in his stroller, in his pushchair. So Matilda, Joseph, Reuben and I, we went to the local shops and we ran in, stopped at the entrance to the shop, grabbed a basket, and then we ran around the shop buying all the food that mummy wouldn't let us buy if she was with us. Fathers, have you ever done that? Yeah. About 15 minutes of fun and laughter later, we arrived at the checkout to pay for the meat and the other naughty things that we'd bought because mummy wasn't with us. And the assistant said how much it would be. I reached for my wallet and in that moment turned around. I had my wallet, but there was Joseph, there was Matilda, It was one of those heart-stopping moments. And I thought to myself, how many children am I responsible for? How many children did I bring with me? Did I leave Reuben at home? Oh, no! Reuben was missing! I mean, my heart... If you're a parent here, you'll all have your own stories. My heart stopped. Uh, I'm partly thinking what my wife would do to me <laughs> if I went home without the cheeky one. And I literally ran from the uh, checkout. I think the lady thought I didn't have my money with me and I was doing a runner. But I ran around the shop looking for Reuben. And we couldn't find him. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw a crowd of people gathering. And there in the centre, thank you, brother, there in the centre of this crowd of people, at the entrance to the supermarket, was a small child in a stroller. What had happened, and I realised instantly, as we ran into the supermarket pushing Reuben, we stopped, grabbed the basket, carried on, <laughs> and left him. He'd been there for 15 to 20 minutes. Now, there were three groups of people in the crowd that gathered around Reuben. There were the security guards, 
And uh, if I tell you that if I had not had Joseph and Matilda with me, they would not have believed Reuben was mine. But their witness and testimony reassured the security guards he was actually my child and I was his father of sorts. The other group of people were the uh, shop assistants. They were the ones that were kneeling down, talking to Reuben, playing with him. And the third group of people, these were the most scary people gathered around Reuben. These were mothers. And I'm aware that I'm speaking on Mother's Day and I'm treading on very delicate ground. But these mothers, they looked at me and their heads shook in disgust and I could hear the tutting under their breath. Call yourself a father? Well, eventually, I managed to extract Reuben from the security guards and push him home, very subdued. Now, I am a very honest man. I believe in honesty and integrity. I refuse bribes and corruption, either to give or to take. But before you and before God, I confess to you, that I did bribe Joseph and Matilda. <laughs> to say absolutely nothing to mummy when we got home. It was actually, uh, seriously, it was actually several years later. My wife and I were sharing the, an evening with some very dear close friends who I knew would protect me if things went really badly, that I first confessed to my wife what had happened that day. And she forgave me. And I'm still the father of my children. <laughs> so mothers, thank you, not only for rearing amazing children, but for your long-suffering with your husbands. We are so grateful for your grace. So grateful for your grace. I want to talk this morning about being forgotten, overlooked, and left behind. One of my favourite Bible characters is Joseph. That's why my firstborn is called Joseph. And as you know from the story, every Joseph needs a Reuben, so he has a brother called Reuben. And I'd like to pick up the epic story of Joseph at that point after chapter 39 in Genesis where he has been accused falsely of committing adultery and he finds himself falsely imprisoned. Imprisoned. Unjustly. And there in prison one day, two other people turned up. They had fallen out of favour with the Pharaoh. 
One was the bread maker and the other was the cup bearer. They had fallen out of favour with the Pharaoh and they found themselves imprisoned. And one night they both had dreams. And as they woke up that morning, they talked to their fellow inmate, Joseph. And Joseph gave an interpretation of the dream to the cup bearer. And because it was such a favourable interpretation, that in three days he would be released from prison and restored in service to the king, the bread maker thought, great, can you interpret my dream as well? And then Joseph gave him the bad news that in three days he would lose his head. And that is exactly what happened. And Joseph said to the cupbearer, remember me. When you get out of this place, put in a good word for me. And three days later, the Pharaoh released the bread maker and he released the cupbearer. And the cupbearer has returned in service to the Pharaoh and the bread maker lost his head. And the last three words of Genesis chapter 40, the last three words say this, he forgot him. The cupbearer had promised Joseph when he got out of there, he would put in a good word for him. He would remember him. But in his elevation and restoration, he was having such a good time, he forgot about Joseph. I want to ask you today, have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt overlooked? Have you ever felt left behind? I remember at school, the one lesson I hated the most, and I hated many of the lessons, but the one I hated the most was sports lessons. Because in those days, I was not the specimen of athleticism and human fitness that I am today. Thank you for laughing with me. And I remember, it was always the two most athletic kids in the class that were picked to be the team leaders. And then the humiliation began. They would take it in turns to pick their team from the class. 20 people left, 15 people left, 10 people left, five people left, two people left. I was always... Always, always one of the last two to be picked. And I remember on numbers of occasions the two team leaders arguing, not over who they would take, but arguing over who should take both of us. It's actually a crushing experience to be left behind. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever felt forgotten, overlooked and left behind by people? Have you ever helped somebody out get a job? Have you ever helped somebody raise money for their business or their not-profit? 
And at that moment, they are your best friend. They couldn't possibly promise to do more for you. You've saved their bacon. You've held them in a small way or a significant way. And they love you. And they respect you. And they affirm you. And they recognise. It's not why you did it, but thanks is it's good, isn't it? And then they move into their new season. <laughs> They've got the money. They've got the job. They've got the lift to the airport. They've got whatever it is they wanted from you. And then where are they? It's as if you never existed. Have you ever done something for somebody? Have you ever been generous for somebody? And as soon as you've been generous, they're gone. There's no thanks. No real relationship at all. As you can hear, it's happened to me. <laughs> and as I can hear, it's happened to you. But you know the worst thing about being forgotten by people? The very worst thing is this. That when you're generous to other people and they don't remember you, guess what happens? You start being less generous. You start putting up a wall of protection around yourself. You start weighing much more carefully who you're generous to and how you're generous to them. And you start just being generous with the people that are closest to you, who you know you can trust. And so you become less and less generous as a means of self-protection. And this morning I want to say to you, I want to say many things to you, but I want to encourage you to rediscover generosity. Where people have forgotten you, where people have overlooked you, where people have left you behind, you can trust them again. You can trust people again. When you are let down by people. I mean, Joseph, in that prison, in the first, few, first verse of chapter 41, and we'll read some of that in a moment, it says, and two years passed. You know, this wasn't, oh, I forgot, I'll do it next week. Or I'll put it on my to-do list, it'll pop up next month. This was two years. 24 months. The cupbearer forgot Joseph. And Joseph was left alone, isolated, in a dark place. Wondering what was going on. This huge injustice had been committed against him. And even the men who he helped forgot, well, the one that lived, forgot him. But do you know what? It's not only people who we feel let us down and forget us and overlook us and leave us behind. If I'm really honest with you, Sometimes, and I realise I'm speaking to some specific people here this morning, sometimes we feel like God 
has forgotten us, has overlooked us, has left us behind. And as we see other people racing past in the fast lane with wonderful families together, families that are perfect on the outside, the truth is never quite that. If you're a pastor, you know that. People whose business just seems to grow and grow and grow and their cars get bigger and bigger and bigger. They run out of room to do extensions on their homes. Everything's going so well for them. And then there's you. Uh, uh, God, uh, uh, I'm your child, remember, remember me? I mean, Joseph was this young man who God had given a vision of the future to, a dream. A dream that one day his father and his brothers were bowed down to him. Do you remember that right at the back of the, the beginning of the story? And here he was in prison, forgotten, overlooked, left behind. By who? Not just the cupbearer, but by God. I mean, he wouldn't be human if he hadn't thought, where's God? Did God not give me the dream of my future? Was that not real? Because in that place, he couldn't have felt further from God's destiny for his life. And some of you this morning are sat here, and you're faithful people. You may have been coming to this church for a decade or decades, but inside you are carrying disappointment. Because God has promised you some things. And as you look around where you are right now, you couldn't feel further from where God has promised you were going to be. You couldn't feel further from your destiny. And the danger is, the danger is we start recalibrating our dreams. Again, as an act of self-preservation. Okay, we had this expectation. It's not happening. So, so I can't get this. Well, let's just lower. Let's lower our expectation of God's calling and destiny on our lives. Because it takes away the pain. It takes away the disappointment. It takes you out of that place of, of, of frustration. And that's the danger. That we actually resize our dreams to our reality. We resize our dreams to our reality. Rather than allowing our dreams to be determined by God's word to us. So I want to say today, friends, this is a good news day because the story does not end here. Chapter 40 of Genesis is not the end. It's one scene in the story. And as we enter into chapter 41, which I'd like to read from right now, the story takes a turn for the better. Whew. Bring it on. 
I'm going to jump through a little bit, so you, you can just listen. But I mean, today, read Genesis, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 40 and chapter 41. But allow me to read God's word. Here in verse 1. When two full years had passed, two full years! How long have you been waiting? Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them came seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate the seven sleek and fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. (laughs) What on earth was that about? And so Pharaoh begins a search. He searches his land. He searches his empire for anyone, someone, anybody who can interpret his dream. He drew a blank. And then in verse 9, the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded. I'm reminded of my shortcomings. And he tells the story of how when he'd fallen out of favour with the Pharaoh and he was imprisoned, he met this young man called Joseph. And when he had a dream and interpreted it, it came true, both for him and for the poor, the, the poor bread maker. And so, Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Woo! A moment of destiny where Joseph is transformed. He's transformed. He moves from the prison to the palace. His elevation happens in an instant. One man who remembered him, this forgotten, overlooked and left behind man of God, he was remembered and he was elevated from prison to palace in an instant. And he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. And he said to Pharaoh, actually, there are going to be seven years of abundance and there are going to be seven years of famine. What should I do, said the Pharaoh. And Joseph began to explain his scheme. That through the seven years of plenty, they should store up and invest and put aside this nest egg for the nation. So that during the seven years of of famine they'd be all right. Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? (laughs) Let's jump forward to verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then the Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes and fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, his prime minister. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. It says later on in verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old at the time. There is 
a new chapter coming, my friends. There is a new season coming. Because the word that God has spoken over you is not dead. It is not deceased. It is not buried in the ground. There will be a moment where like Joseph, who was elevated from prison to palace to prime minister, when someone will unlock your future. Now let me bring this into land, okay? So this is where the sermon is going to begin. That was the introduction. I'm joking, I'm joking. But Bishop, if it's a, I'd like to say three things and then I'd like to pray for some people. Do I have your permission? Okay, three very simple things. The first is this. This, this is the truth. That God never forgets, overlooks or leaves you behind. God never forgets you. God never overlooks you. God never leaves you behind, even though it sometimes feels like he does. And that is a very real and human experience. But I want to declare over your lives this morning that God never forgets you. That God has a purpose and a destiny for your lives. That you are born for a reason. That God has knit you together in your mother's womb for a life of great works. That is your destiny. That is your calling. So if you are sat here this morning feeling frustrated, disappointed, despondent, you, you are faithful, but you feel stuck, I believe that God wants to say to you this morning, I have not forgotten you. I have not overlooked you. I have not left you behind. The second thing I want to say is this, that God chooses to unlock our future through the relationships that we care to build. You know, Joseph in prison, you could forgive him for being a bit fed up. You could forget, forgive him for being a bit despondent. You could forgive him for just keeping himself to himself. But instead, every time somebody was in prison with him, he befriended them. He befriended them. And it was that cupbearer who in that moment, when the Pharaoh needed a dream interpreting, <gasps> remembered and said, I know a man who can. I believe, and my experience is, that God has always unlocked the next season of my future through relationships. You see, God is a relational God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is this Trinitarian, this, this Godhead. He's, he's one, but he's three. And by the way, that's completely logical. Uh, I was in remedial classes at school, but I did learn this. That one plus one plus one is and one multiplied by one multiplied by one is the Trinity is completely logical. We are created in the image of a relational God. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. They make way for each other. 
They send the Holy Spirit into the world. There is sacrifice and commitment and preferment of the other. And God has created us in that image. So we can only become fully who God has made us to be in relationship with other people. So if you are hurt by others, damaged by others, the worst thing that you can do is withdraw. The worst thing you can do is to put up walls of self-defense, to protect yourself from pain and hurt. Because the more you do that, the more you stifle God's potential to unlock your future. The whole of Scripture is a story of relationships. The Bible is not a book about religion, it's a book about relationship. With relationship with God, relationship with one another. There is academic research, which I haven't got time to go into, that states that the quality of your relationships at 50 years old determines your health at 80 years old. There is research, academic research, that says um, being isolated in relationships is more damaging to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Why? It's obvious. The fact is we're created in the image of, an, of a relational God. So we can only thrive and prosper and become fully who he wants us to be in relationship with other people. So if you are frustrated about the opportunities you have in your life, get off the sofa, stop moaning, stop complaining, and get out there and build relationships. You have no idea who, but there will come a day when God chooses to unlock your future through a relationship that you have chosen to build. To build relationships. Our God is a relational God. And this is why, as well as being a preacher and running an NGO, I run a business. So I have the privilege of going into financial institutions and banks. We were chatting, weren't we? Dr Zim, (laughs) this morning, works for FMB. FMB are one of my clients here in South Africa. Uh, and, so, and, and a number of other banks. But you see, relationships grow business. Trust is the greatest commodity in business. The true currency of business, you see, is not money. It's relationships. Because you choose to work with people you trust. If you want to know more about relationology, I've got a little... A little uh, I do a little video blog once a week about somebody I've met and something I've learned from them about relationships. Just go to a minutewithmat.com. A minutewithmat.com. Anyway, uh, advert over. Um, is there a little towel I can get as a little now a brow mopper? Anyway, um, so relationships. God chooses to unlock our future, thank you, through the relationships that we choose to build. So firstly... God never forgets us, overlooks us, or leaves us behind, even though it feels like he does at times. Secondly, God chooses to unlock our future through the relationships that we take the trouble to build. And thirdly, thirdly, the whole story of Joseph is not actually about Joseph. The story of Joseph is about the salvation of nations. We zoom forwards, and Joseph's brothers and father are there before the Pharaoh begging for food. They're hungry. They're starving. 
And in that moment, Joseph reveals his identity. They thought he was dead. The brothers were going to kill him. Reuben talked them out of it and they sold him into slavery and they took a, a coat back to their father, covered in blood, and said, our brother has died. And in that, can you imagine as a father, there before the Pharaoh, that's my son. And the brothers were full of fear. He's the Pharaoh. We meant to kill him. We sold him into slavery. He could do anything to us. He could destroy us in an instant. And what did Joseph say? (laughs) Joseph said, what you meant for harm, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. There are people in your life who want to harm you. There are people in your life who have harmed you. There are people in your life now who will harm you. And it hurts like words I can't say in a church. It hurts. But God has a plan for good. The Bible teaches us that all things work together for good. And even the most excruciating experiences in our lives, even those, even those, God will turn around for good. So my third point is this, that God calls us to the salvation of nations. God calls us to the salvation of nations. That this calling on our lives, this destiny on our lives, it's not about us. It's about his purpose on earth. And in this country and in my country, we have problems. There are people going hungry. There are people going hungry. There are people going without an education. There are people without jobs in South Africa. The official stats, as you know, are 29%. It's definitely north of 40%, depending on what community you're in. There are people who are at rock bottom. And God has called us to their salvation. Not just their spiritual salvation, but their physical salvation. They're hungry, they need food. Their families are starving. And a handout is helpful, but it solves nothing long term. Because the ultimate, the only solution to poverty is actually jobs. The ability to work, to provide for yourselves, to be generous to others, to hold your head high with dignity and worth is what every human being should have the opportunity to do. And when you look at the New Testament, all the healings that Jesus performed were not only wonderful miracles of physical healing, but they were also acts of economic empowerment. Because now every one of those lepers, cripples, uh, now needn't beg for a living, they could work for a living. They could work for a living. And I'll close with this and then we'll pray. Uh, I met a young lady called Rachel. Rachel doesn't view herself as a leader. She became aware in the UK of children going hungry in the holidays. 1.4 million children receive paid-for school dinners by the government, even in the UK, because their families are too poor. Which is great, but there are these inconvenient things called school holidays. 
The schools are closed, the kitchens are closed, and the government provision of lunch for those children is not there in the holidays. So what happens? These children go hungry. And so Rachel, not being a leader, (laughs) she phones three friends in three churches and said, this holiday, let's make lunch for children who'd otherwise go hungry. And that's what she did. Not a leader. I met her at that point and I said to her, Rachel, I run this this non-profit organisation called Cinnamon Network. And we specialise in finding brilliant church-owned, church-led community projects and we help them replicate across other churches to save other churches reinventing the wheel. In the first two years, we helped Rachel take that one project and replicate it in 56 churches. And they fed 11,500 children. In the UK, we've found 30 brilliant projects run by local churches. 30 doing all sorts of social interventions and impact that we've now seen replicate by 3,500 churches. And what I'm saying by this is, I guess, faith without action is dead. That's what the Bible teaches us. You can preach all you like. You can praise all you like. You can pray all you like. Sometimes what we do looks like Christianity, sounds like Christianity, smells like Christianity, but in reality it's dead. Because it has no action. It lets people starve while we sit and preach and praise and pray. And I believe that God has called you, as he's called me, to be part of his story. Not my story, not your story, not Joseph's story, his story. Because his desire is for the salvation of nations and the salvation of South Africa. So I'm going to stop there and I'd like to pray for some people. Would you stand with me?